You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson, former NFL scout, former college scout. I was at ESPN for 10 years, all those good things, but enough of the the pleasantries. This is a Locked On NFL podcast. It is noon on Wednesday, which means Mark Schofield and I are going to have a little chat. And I tell you that because it's very important when we record this because the NFL is so unbelievably fast and furious right now. Something might even break when we're on the air. Mark, what's up, man? What's going on, Matt? Pleasure to be with you on every Wednesday. And yeah, crazy couple of days here in the NFL. We got a lot to get to, so no sense wasting any more time. Let's just dive right in, right? We're going to play the hits today, basically. I mean, since I recorded around 6 p.m. on Tuesday, some big things happened. Lev Bell, Odell Beckham, just say a couple. I mean, just a normal day in the NFL, right? Odell gets traded, Lev Bell moves teams, you know, just another normal day, right? Yeah, just another day in the the National Football League. And, (laughs) I mean, I guess if you were smart and bought yourself some Cleveland Browns stock, say, in December of last year, you're feeling pretty good about yourself right now. Absolutely. And let's start there. Okay, I'm not a big fan of who wins and who loses trades, and this goes back to the A-B trade, too. But for those that haven't heard, Jabril Peppers a first and a third for Odell. And the Browns are in it to win it. I mean, there's the Odell-Landry relationship, you know, best buds. They, Peppers never really seemed to fit in there. Landon Collins left. I assume they're looking at Peppers as a Landon Collins replacement as opposed to playing him in deep, deep center field where the Browns often did early in his career. And they need all the picks they can get. Um, I want to get to the Browns. Let's get, let's start with the Browns. So what what do you think of the trade overall? And what do you think of all these unbelievable deals with the Browns right now? I mean, this is just more evidence that the biggest competitive advantage for a team right now is a good rookie quarterback on that mm. rookie deal. Because you can go and do stuff like this. And you can load up and maximize that window. And then if the quarterback is good enough that he pans out, then he's going to be good enough to sort of carry a team when you have to sort of sell some parts or make some different moves and give him the big payday. But when you've got that window, you load up. Look at this offense. They've got Odell, Landry. You've got David Njoku, Sefta Valve. They just added Demetrius Harris, another mm-hmm. tight end to that mix. You've got a running back core of Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson. And when he comes back from his suspension <laughs> at some point, Kareem Hunt. I mean, this is an offense that is going to score points they're built to win now. And yes, you know, they'll have to replace Peppers, but this was a defense that was pretty opportunistic. They created some takeaways. One of the biggest problems for this team last year was they couldn't capitalize on takeaways. Their sort of points scored after takeaways wasn't on par with even league average. That will probably change this year, Matt. So I think from Cleveland's perspective, it it was almost a no-brainer, right? Yeah, I think so too. And I thought he would demand even more than that. I thought he would be... Two for you know this this first rounder and next year's yeah. maybe more. Um, I think it shows back to Antonio Brown that the the acquiring these guys is a little easier than you think. They are super expensive. There's attitude issues. You know potentially not every locker room wants them around. Um, oh by the way, they pick up Sheldon Richardson. They make another deal yeah. with the Giants and add Olivier Vernon. I mean, there's a lot of 
talent being added to this team. And back to your point about Mayfield, I feel like poor Sashi Brown had something to do with this too. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You know? I, mean, I would have loved to have been Dorsey and got what he, you know, the hand that he was handed to, to make this team. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those situations where Dorsey steps into an ideal situation, kind of it was one of those born on third base moments, but he still had to go out and make some of these moves. And of course, you know, the analytics committee community out there, they're praising Sashi Brown. He died for our sins. Those tweets are flying. (laughs) And it makes some sense because they were able to do what they did the past couple of years to get Baker and Denzel Ward at the top of last year's draft because of the picks they accumulated. And, you know, maybe had they drafted a golf or a Wentz when they had the chance, things might have been different. But now they're set up and they're loaded. And you could look at, you know, Baltimore's losing some pieces. Pittsburgh is obviously losing losing some pieces. Who knows what's happening in Cincinnati? It's easy to sit here right now at the start of March and say, this is the team to beat in the AFC North. And I think on paper they are. Oh, the AFC North is looks to be crumbling around them. But the old curmudgeon Steeler fan deep in my soul sits in the back a little bit and says, okay, you know, you're the up-and-comer. Right. You have a brand new head coach. You have a lot of big personalities. And more than anything, the Browns have something new, and that's expectations. And that's – it's it, you're not building a fantasy team. No, you're not. And, you know, the NFL – NFL history is littered with teams that won the Super Bowl in March and went on to finish 6-10. and 10. Right, right. And that's happened before. And like you said, Matt, that's a great point about expectations. We talked about it a little bit with Nick Foles, you know, the big payday that he got. You know, when you come in and you get that big payday, you have the different expectations around you. When you build a roster and accumulate this kind of talent, you have that big payday around you. And people are already saying, look, what would be a fantastic either Thursday night or Sunday night opener? Browns at Patriots, right? Well, sure. What happens if they go into Foxborough, then lose 42 to 17? <laughs> right, right. You know, right. things will look a lot different, you know, in that kind of situation. So, yes, it's March. They look fantastic on paper, but the game's got to be played still. The Giants side of things is a little foggier. And <laughs> a, little <bit. laughs> a little bit. And I'm not saying I'm a Gettleman believer, and I would be critical, and I would not be happy if I were the Giants with this move. But... I'm going to I'm going to be devil's advocate compared to Twitter who's destroying them right now and say what if this is the plan? And I know you're a Haskins believer. The Giants now have a lot of ammo to move to 2 if need be. The we will get to this, but the Niners just signed an edge guy, so or, you know just traded for an edge guy. Maybe Bosa's not in their sights quite as much. Maybe they're more apt to move down or move to 3 or move to 4 or whatever. And go in with the plan of Haskins, Saquon, Shepard, Engram. And we actually have an offensive line now, and we have some picks. And say what you want about Odell, and he's a phenomenal player, but maybe we don't want him in that locker room and that big personality and that big contract, and it's going to be Haskins' gig. Yeah. Maybe I that's mean, a little optimistic. I mean, that's the, so <laughs> right. Mike Francesa, the glass half full approach, Very, right? Yes. Is that you've got some addition by subtraction. I'm going to stop you real quick. I apologize because I put that on Twitter and then all the mean, mad Giants fans are like, they're going to draft a lineman and then they're going to take Daniel Jones and it's going right. to stink. And you know, yeah. So we, there's other ways of thinking about it. Yeah, but We could get to the potential <laughs> Jones at 17th and in a second because I've got some thoughts on that. But you know, the glass half full approach, which is what you outlined, is with Odell, it's a little bit of addition by subtraction. You know, mm-hmm. 
it's a situation where perhaps there were some locker room issues there. And by moving on from him, you now have a situation where whoever is taking the snaps, the idea is you throw to the open guy and not forcing it to Odell. And so maybe there's a bit of that at play. Okay. You know, if you weren't going to come to a deal with Collins and look, you free up some cap, some cap space there a little bit. You get your bro Peppers, who could be a nice little replacement for him. Now you've got picks at six and 17. You can certainly address some things. You'll have to get some help on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you'll want to shore up that offensive line. Maybe you do want to get a quarterback at those picks. And so this gives them a little bit of ammo to do that and to sort of rebuild and retool and without perhaps a full tear down. You know, the sort of issue becomes one, you've got to hit now on both of those picks. You know, at six oh, and yeah. seventeen, if you miss on one or both of those, forget it. You've really sort of put yourself behind the eight ball. That's issue number one. Issue number two is the decision to move on from Odell and Landon Collins to a lesser extent now is a bit curious because it's not a situation where Gettleman's coming into this situation and all uh, these the previous you know regime gave those big contracts out number to Odell they didn't want to pay Landon now we have to deal with the aftermath you know you made those decisions you know you gave Odell that contract and so you know that timing of it makes a little bit uh, makes it a little bit of a head scratcher mm-hmm. I think it's bad that, business. It's bad business, you know, and when you look at sort of some of their dead cap, I mean, you're paying basically, what, like $16 million for him to line up for the Cleveland Browns next year. So that's a bit of a you know mistake, you could say. But more than anything, it comes back to the fact they get a hit at 6-17. and 17. Now, if, if the decision is to go get Dwayne Haskins, then okay, you've got the ammo to do it. He might even be there at 6. Either way, I'm okay with that. If the idea is we're going to take maybe best player available at 6 – and then draft a Daniel Jones at 17. Or Locke or, you know. Yeah, right. I mean, Whoever's that's a there, completely right. different scenario. Or Will Greer and, in the second yeah. round. And or, that, could, right, that right. could be a situation that could be bad. And the other thing to remember is whoever they get at 17 is going to have what we just talked about, those expectations of you're the guy we got instead of Odell, so you better be worth it. Mm-hmm. And so if it's a Daniel Jones type at 17, <laughs> right. in the Big Apple, right. one time in the Big Apple of the next year. And that may be the route, and that might be why a lot of Giants fans are a little wonky. Because we saw, you know, Dan and Jeremiah talked about it. Bucky Brooks was saying he made the connection, Cutcliffe, Jones, the Manins, that whole relationship situation. If it is Daniel Jones at 17, oh boy, it's going to be fun to yeah, talk about. Yeah, he better hit. And I yeah. got my doubts, to say the least. Yeah. I do think there's a good chance Daryl Williams ends up there and really basically completes the line. I give them credit for the the attention they've given to the offensive line, how bad it was the last couple of years. So that is a positive. And again, I really am looking through this with you know optimistic glasses with yeah. Haskins because that's how I would approach it. That doesn't mean at all Giants fans, that's how they're going to approach it. Um, more news in the Big Apple. Give me a quick break, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment. All right. Lev Bell, midnight last night, all the drama signs with the Jets. My take on it, and if you read my Twitter timeline, it's a little rough on Lev. And Mark, I'm going to go on a a soapbox here just for a minute because people don't listen to me locally. I've been saying the end of the 2016 season would be the highlight of Bell's career. And if you recall, he was getting like 30 touches a game for about an eight-game stretch through the playoffs. I thought he was about the best player in the league at that point. Put the team on his back, did it all, was a phenomenal Hall of Fame-like player. And then in 17, he came back, and I thought, he's lost a little bit. He's still really good. He's lost a little bit. 
And going into 17, the first time they franchised him, I probably said on the air here a hundred times, I would franchise him and trade him now because I think he peaked at the end of 2016. And he's had a remarkable workload. Running backs don't last. We know all these things. And then he sits out all last year. And again, I said uh, going into last year, franchise him a second time and trade him while you can. So I feel sort of justified with that, that in the end, the Steelers would have been better off if they took my advice. And I think Bell financially really screwed this up. All that being said, the other things I've been saying on the air is the teams that should go after Bell, and by no means do I think he's done. I just think that he's not going to be that guy from now three years ago, is a team with a young, promising quarterback like Buffalo, like, you know, the Jets, that Mm -hmm. makes that guy's life a ton easier. And I think this is a great deal for the Jets. People probably don't think I say that. Oh, you're bitter because of what happened to the Steelers. No, this is a phenomenal deal for the Jets because it takes a village to raise a quarterback and Bell will help Darnold tremendously. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all well said, Matt. I think you kind of nailed it. Um, for the Jets, this is a fantastic move because with Adam Gase, you're going to get a guy that likes to find explosive plays from the running backs, who likes to use the running backs in a bunch of different ways. And so I think that will help Lev Bell. We do sort of wonder about taking the year off, you know, in addition to the rumored weight gain, mm-hmm. how is he going to be? Will he still have the quickness? Will his patience as a running back work behind a different offensive line? Because I've often thought when you watched Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell running the football, that being an offensive lineman for Pittsburgh might have been the hardest thing to do in the NFL because you're not blocking for a second or two. You've got to hold your blocks because of the way he runs. Then you've got to pass block for Ben Roethlisberger. That's tough things to do. You know, so the Jets and Munchak their coached line, them differently when he was in yeah. and out the game. I mean, and that was a challenge, and it was another feather in why he's such a good offensive line coach. But in a way, it was like they were setting picks for Lev Bell. Yeah, and so the Jets, they're going to have to, you know, Adam Gase, Dowell Longins, they're going to have to work with the offensive line to make sure they gel with that running style as well. But I do think it's a good move, for, like you said, for the Jets because it helps Sam Darnold. Now you've got a run threat, so. You know, if you really want to load the box, fine. If they get a weapon or two on the outside, if they keep Robbie Anderson, who I kind of like, mm-hmm. add a wide receiver or two, that might be a pretty good offense. You know, he's got a nice little relationship with the tight end, Christopher Herndon, sort of that seam type guy that can work the middle of the field. And so they're putting some pieces together, which is good. For Bell, I think when you look at the numbers involved, probably while the guaranteed money is a little bit more that he was last offered by Pittsburgh, it's like $2 million more. He missed out on an entire season. You know, 14 so it's not and a half on back. the table. All right. Yeah. And I listened to some of that album when he dropped it. And oh, no. That mixtape. <laughs> and I can tell you, I don't think he's going to recoup that <laughs> as a musician. It was, it was heavy on the auto-tune. Now, maybe that's your thing. It's not mine. So he did probably lose out some. And now we're going to have to see him if he can put it all together. He may have lost a step or two. That might still be enough to take the load off of Sam Darnold and have this be a pretty good offense. But – it may prevent him from being the kind of player we hoped he'd be coming back, and it may prevent him from having the kind of role for the Jets that Jets fans are hoping for. Yeah, I'm optimistic about the Jets, though. I mean, you mentioned Adam Gase, and I don't think a lot of gangrene was doing cartwheels when they made that hire, but I think this offense has a chance to really thrive under Gase, and a lot of it's because I'm such a Darnold believer, but this is another piece. They do have pass catchers. 
offensive line out of the semi. It should be better. They'll probably add more in the draft. And we didn't even mention the defense. I mean, they gave C.J. Mosley way too much money. But that aside, the defense is shaping up, you know, with two leaders in Adams and Mosley. And they, you know, with my scenario and Haskins going to two, they may end up with Bosa. I mean, at yeah. worst, they're going to end up with Quinn and Williams or Allen. I mean, they're, they're going to get some stud front seven player. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Jets do because they could, like you said, they could have somebody just fall into their lap at three, they which would be Bosa. fantastic for them. Quarterback, could quarterback, Bosa. Bosa, yeah. Or, you know, and maybe if Bosa is there at three, you decide you're not going to do this. But, you know, if San Francisco goes in a different direction, you know, maybe the team that comes up to get a quarterback comes up to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and good point. And then you stockpile some picks too. And so the Jets, it seems like the third pick has been a sweet spot for them the past two drafts because after all, they come up to three to get Donald last year and it seems like that's going to pan out. Now they're sitting at three and they might be in the catbird seat, especially if we see quarterback at one, quarterback at two. Another team in it's, that – okay, go ahead. Finish no, up. It's just almost a, a can't-lose situation. Yeah, you're right. You either get the best player in the draft or somebody gets one of the top quarterbacks. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, I, I hear you. I mean, Kyler Murray going one helps the Jets tremendously. Yeah. Um, another team in the AFC East, as they always are, are clamoring to get at your Patriots, the Bills. And I mentioned them before. You know, second-year quarterback, had some promising times. And they didn't sign Lev Bell. You know, they didn't land Antonio Brown, as was rumored. But they, too, are building an offensive line, and they're building receivers. And I really like the John Brown and the Morse signings. And the plan is obviously very clear. Again, let's help the young quarterback. Yeah, and I I think that the Bills additions make a ton of sense as well because they're adding the receivers yeah you know you look at the guys of the ad you know brown i think he's obviously everybody assumes a vertical threat and that is going to be part of it obviously but never overestimate the importance of that guy we talked about this a little bit last week when we're talking dk metcalf versus stanley morgan jr right yeah we were talking the vertical threat versus the slot guy cole beasley this is a guy that, when I was watching Dallas over the past couple of years, always seemed to get open. Fantastic footwork on his routes, tremendous route runner. He is going to be a big help for Josh Allen because we all look, look we all love the DK Metcalf and what he can do, the vertical br- ball with Brown. Beasley is going to help them move the chains on third and six. And teams need that. And so, similar to what we talk about with the Jets, you help the young guy. I love these two additions. Yeah, I think it's a smart rebuild. And and this staff, you know, coming from Carolina, didn't inherit a lot in 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 Buffalo, but I think they've built it slowly but surely, and not the quick fix that maybe the Jets are after. Yeah, you know, I think that's right, and it does seem like with McDermott and company, they've had a plan. Yes. Over the past couple of years, you know, you could even go back to the Tyrod. You know, the, the year that they made the sort of run, it was like, OK, this is nice. This was a little added bonus. But we know eventually we're going to have to get a better quarterback and eventually we're going to upgrade. And so when they do the deal for Josh Allen, what else do they do? They draft Edmonds, the linebacker, the athletic guy, the cornerstone, the defense for the next eight to 10 years, hopefully. And so it seems like throughout this entire past, you know, three or four years, they've had the process in place. Trust the process, as they say. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be working now. They're adding the pieces around Josh Allen. Eventually, Tom Brady will retire, and they'll be able to capitalize. You think? And you, would think? you mentioned the Allen Edmonds offseason, and I said many times that that sure looks like 
Cam and Keekley. Uh, well, that will turn out to be that good. League yeah. MVPs and a you know Hall of Fame linebacker. I don't know, but I don't think that was an accident. That that was the two cornerstones. No, I, I you know, it's similar to baseball, right? You build the team up the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got your middle linebacker to cornerstone the defense. You've got your quarterback to cornerstone your offense. You build around those two guys. And it makes a lot of sense. Now you fill in the pieces here and there. You know, Adam Freight Gore, I mean, again, somebody that's going to take a little bit off Josh Allen's plate. He's got some family. I think he's a son. He has a son at the University of Buffalo, I think. So it makes a ton of sense. I love what they've added. Yeah. Uh, another quick break. I want to talk about the other big trade that kind of got washed under the rug with all this action. But we'll be back here in a moment. All right. D Ford goes up. Oh, late breaking news, yep. dude. Earl yep. Thomas is a Raven. Happened one second ago. I mean, initial reaction, it makes some sense. Yes. You know, obviously you lose Weddle. Similar to what we were just talking about with building around a defense and a young quarterback, Baltimore is going to need to build around Lamar Jackson. You know, this is a team that last year was a running team. They got what they could out of Lamar Jackson. They relied on their defense. It's a defense that has lost some pieces, obviously, with Weddle gone, C.J. Mosley gone. You need somebody to step in. Earl Thomas is a nice little consolation prize for Eric Weddle going out of town. Uh, Schefter's saying it's four years, $55 million, $32 million fully guaranteed at signing. I mean, cash in hand, $22 million in the first nine months. This is a front-loaded deal. This is a we're going to pay him now and make a run now and sort of reload with him. Yeah, I'm reacting obviously on the spot, but you know Ed Reed was there pretty recently, and th- I know that there's a new front office, but it hasn't changed that much. Um, Andy Benoit from SI did a phenomenal piece on Weddle mm-hmm. about how valuable he is mentally. You know, maybe he doesn't run as well as he used to, and all that. And I'm not saying Earl Thomas is the same, but he is absolutely going to be the new quarterback of that secondary. With all respect to Weddle, Thomas is just a flat-out better player at this point. As good as the Ravens were on defense, they didn't create a ton of turnovers. I think Thomas certainly helps with that. And like you said, I mean, it's it's changing of the guard in Baltimore right now. I mean, new quarterback. I mean, he's out of the Flacco's out of the building. Ozzie Newsom's gone. They lost what five defensive players, including Suggs. I mean, you talk yep. about foundational pieces of this organization. Gone are the days of Reed and Lewis and Nada and Suggs. I mean, it's a totally different unit now. Yeah, it's a completely different unit. But, you know, and that secondary is going to have some great components to it because you're going to pair Thomas with Tony Jefferson, who's more of a box safety type, but mm-hmm. he was very effective as a blitzer at times, very effective playing down in the box. Thomas is more of your traditional free safety type guy, although he can come down in the box as well, and you have to have two safeties that can do both given how teams try to get you out of position. You've got two first-round corners, Jimmy Smith and Marlon Humphrey. Humphrey has struggled at times, but still, those are nice pieces. The front is going to be the issue. You know, with losing Suggs, losing Mosley, losing Smith, they're going to have to add some guys. But you could see the makings of perhaps yet another good, solid Baltimore defense. Apparently, they're going to run five tight ends out there on every single play. Well, sure, so yeah. That's what the <laughs> offense is going to look like. Um, so we'll see what they get from Lamar Jackson. But this is a nice addition for Baltimore. One last tight end, though, and I didn't plan on talking to the Ravens. I'm not sure you and I have had this conversation. But I think the bevy of tight ends is an obvious reflection on Lamar Jackson. Easier throws, middle of the field, going to run the ball a lot. You know, they're better blockers than receivers. You're going to, you know, them wide receivers, you're going to see a lot of two and three tight end sets at times. 
get different angles in the run game. And I get all that, but I also think John Brown leaves, they cut Crabtree. No one in their right mind is going to sign a free agent deal to play wide receiver for Baltimore. They're going to have to keep drafting that position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a free agent wide receiver, if you're Golden Tate and your agent calls you up and says, hey, you know, John Harbaugh wants to sign you. He's like, oh, so I can get two targets a game? Right, right. Like, you're not going to do that. And so, you know, they're going to be a 12-personnel team, at least. Man, even be a 13-personnel team. You know, they're going to have to get some pieces in. Like, they, you might see them maybe double-dip at wide receiver because – that's what they're going to have to do. You're going to have to get some rookies in there, like you said, Matt, to sort of year play the wide year. receiver position yeah. year after year. Interesting how they sort of handle the tight end position because you look back at their last couple of drafts. They double-dipped in 2015, Max Williams in the second, Nick Boyle, who they just gave a contract to in the fifth, and then they double-dipped again in 18, Hayden Hurst in the first, Mark Andrews in the third. Now, So they're, they've clearly had this like, four-year plan of we're going to just accumulate tight ends. And you're right, you know, Bill Belichick, ask him a football question, get a football answer, ask him about blocking angles. You get those extra guys in the box on the offensive line, it gives you advantageous blocking angles. They're going to run that zone read stuff with Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards, more of a north-south runner. This is going to be their offense. And the as we've talked about with Baker Mayfield and these other rookie quarterbacks, you got to maximize their window. And with Lamar Jackson, it might be, running what we usually see more on Saturdays than we do see on Sundays, and that's their path to win. Yeah, I also think there's a good chance Mark Ingram ends up there in the next day or two. That would make some sense. Minute yeah. or two, who knows. Yeah, who knows. <laughs> and that'd be an upgrade. I mean, it, it fit in perfectly, and he'd be an upgrade. We'll talk about that if and when it happens. Last thing I want to talk about, though, is D. Ford goes to the Niners for that early second-round pick. He would be a guy that I would be a little hesitant to invest in because... He's sort of a finesse rusher. Mm -hmm. This was a really good year, but he had the carrot in front of him. And I don't know the person, but it's a little fishy. You know, that is this somebody that's going to be a long-term answer? But the Niners have the space. You know, they need to be aggressive, and they certainly had the need. So I see what they're doing there. And maybe they'll pair him with Bosa, or, you know, who knows. But they added what I thought was their biggest need for an early second round pick. And he's certainly worth that on the field for the Niners. Yeah. I mean, I think that this was a good move for San Francisco. It was maybe, I mean, I say good mood, at least on move on paper. We mm -hmm. talked about this a little bit with D Ford had really one good year. You know, prior to last season was, is he going to live up to the sort of the, the hype that he had coming out of Auburn? Now, you know, look, Solomon Thomas, a first-rounder, DeForest Buckner, a first-rounder, Eric Armstead, a first-rounder. So he's going to get some guys to play with up front that can do some things in the pass-rushing game. And so you can see them sort of have the ability to move guys around. You know, Robert Saleh is going to have a chance to move these guys around, have some different pass-rushing combinations. You know, so it should pan out. I sort of like the idea of him and Fred Warner up front, too. You know, so they've got Juan some Alexander really nice well. pieces. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they've got some nice pieces on front of that defense. Behind it, look... You know, you've got Sherman, you've got Tart, you've got some of the guys in the secondary as well. So the defense is going to be a bit improved, I think. And they could still do something at two. You know, we, we've talked about them potentially trading out. Maybe they stay there and say, look, we're going to draft Bosa too. We're just going to build mm -hmm. a ferocious type pass rush because that's what you need. you got to get after quarterbacks in the NFL. And we, now we have the guys that can definitely do that for us. Yeah, and they were rumored to be in the Earl Thomas market too. I thought that would have made a lot of sense. Um, I would expect at least one free agent defensive back to be added 
and probably two of them in the in the draft. I mean, it, it, the offense actually looks reasonably complete. I, I, I mean, I, if you can find a number one receiver, great. But yep. it, it, with Jimmy coming back and the way they scheme things up, they have a lot fewer holes. Yeah, I mean, you look at those receivers with Garcon, with Goodwin, um, Dante Pettis emerged sort of mm-hmm. down the stretch more than Nick Mullins, but he, you know, he was a second round pick, but he might be a nice sort of guy that could become a number one receiver. Trent Taylor is a nice little piece, more of the slot type guy. They've got the receivers there. Obviously look, George Kittle had a heck of a season. Oh, and man. so you're going to get the tight end back, you know, with Kyle Jusick, the fullback, they love to do a lot of stuff out of 21 personnel, Kyle Shanahan, like some of the other guys in this league, whether it's McVay, whether it's McDaniels uses personnel to dictate defensive personnel. And so the fullback plays a big role. The offensive line seems to be gelling. The offense is pretty much in place. They needed to figure out the defense, and this was a move in that direction. As for the Chiefs, they're sort of a curious team now, too, because they're clearly a contender. The offense looks pretty set. Okay, you add Hyde. I mean, I'm fine with that move. But the defense wasn't good. I mean, let's not say it was good, but at least it was big plays and pass rush. And now you don't have Ford or Houston. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a bit of a head scratcher where mm-hmm. they're going to get pass rush from. No, Tyron, you know, getting the honey badger. That's, that's nice. Right. Yeah, right. You know, you, so you can do some things. They're going to have some nice things they can do with the safety spot with Hem and Barry. You know, you can move those guys around. But they're going to need to address pass rush. The one thing that's working in their benefit, though, they like Tano Kapasanon, the kid from, uh, what was it, Villanova. Right, right. So he can sort of slide in. You can do some things from him. You have Chris Jones. And sometimes the guy in the interior that can clog things up is just as beneficial as a great outside pass rusher. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, okay? Maybe that's the my you know glass half full. Yeah, but I think he's there. the straw that serves the drink yeah. more than so Houston or for Houston. You get Tano and you maybe add a guy or two via the draft. Maybe you have a sort of free agent deal, one of these like sort of veteran type guys quote-unquote off the scrap heap you could manufacture some pass rush but you know with honey badger and barry back there you can do some things in the secondary so that's the glass half full approach there losing ford in houston is gonna hurt i mean Mm -hmm. no questions asked they're gonna have to do things in different ways and manufacture some pressure i think at times mark there was eight thousand million things we could talk about but we were just hitting on some of the, the hits like we said next wednesday maybe things will be a little more subdued and we'll just like grab a division and knock it down Either way, man. I mean, we did this one. There's nothing quite like live radio or live podcasting, right? <laughs> right. We take some Earl Thomas news. We hit it on the fly. Another great show, man. Always fantastic to be with you, my buddy. Absolutely, bud. Take care. And everyone, I will be back tomorrow with Mike Sando. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about in the next 24 hours as well. Over and out.